Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, in a particularly on-brand move, we have waited too long for it to even be reasonable for us to do year-end content anymore. So do you know what we're going to do for our first episode of 2019? Bobby, tell me what we're going to do. We're going to do year-end content anyway. Yeah, we are. Because this is a podcast that's for free. (laughs) And (laughs) it's our thing. So much like last year, um, we did last year, we only had a half year to review. And this year, miraculously, we have a full year of Tipping Pitches episodes to review. We have 64 episodes of Tipping Pitches total, 41 of which were in 2018. And just looking at those numbers right now, I'm honestly Im- impressed with us. 41 of 52 weeks. That's like a, that's an A. In my book, I don't know what that is mathematically. That probably shakes out to like a B or a C, right? Yeah, on a, a it sure as hell beats whatever Ted Williams is doing, right? We're batting like nine <laughs> nine hundred there. <laughs> um, shout out to us! Excellent year of doing this. It's been really fun, and that's pretty much all that we do it for is just for fun. <laughs> um, if you're listening to this and and you happen to be a podcast production company who wants to pay us real money to do this that would be fun um alex before we get into it i thought it might be a, a good idea just to kind of look back on the year and talking about baseball i feel like it was a particularly transformative year for the way that we have conversations about baseball online specifically speaking with like finding old baseball players tweets and uh just you know some of the the way that conversation has evolved around domestic violence in the case of uh, Addison Russell and the Cubs. And I don't know, I feel like in the moment it felt pretty bleak. I I was looking back at our episode catalog and our very first episode of this year um, on winter break from last year was a conversation about Miguel Sano and how the, the Indians had handled it. And that was kind of like, sadly to say a trendsetter for a lot of the stuff that we talked about this year how has i mean for you like how has it changed how you think about what we want to talk about like what the conversation is about baseball online do you think it's getting better do you think we're regressing i know this is kind of a heavy way to start the conversation out but i feel like this is the angle we took with our show this year so before we get into all the funny jokey segments that we're going to get into i feel like we should at least acknowledge there's a reason we're not like trying to include our 25 minute conversations about capitalism and baseball and domestic violence among the players and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that this year really showcased a lot of the kind of backwards and regressive thinking that has really always simmered there, but it really reared its head in a pretty nasty way this year. Um, whether it's through the tweets or the stuff with um, Melissa Reedy and Addison Russell, um, or or even more benign things like John Smoltz 
basically demeaning the entire sport sitting from a broadcast booth, right? It, it very much kind of felt like this, this push and pull between the, the old and the new. And I, I will say that while all of this stuff is really disheartening, especially in what is now 2019, it's really disheartening that we still have to deal with this stuff and there's no progress on it. I think that like looking back, I really admire the the groundswell of vocal pushback on a lot of those ideologies. And it is nowhere near where it should be, especially when it comes to the mainstream media and certainly from the league itself. But I think you saw a lot of things, especially online, on Twitter, uh, of people being like, look, like we know that like, we can kind of take control of the narrative here and and call the league on its BS. In many ways, it was a disheartening year, but I think that it was also very much a learning experience. If only to say these things that we thought we had shooed away from the game are still here, and we're going to have to do a lot more if we really want to get rid of them. I think back to a conversation that we had earlier in the year with Aaron Dolan, which we're going to talk about a little later and we're going to have a highlight from. Um, And that was kind of like one of the first times I really thought about like legitimate activism from baseball players with her husband, Sean Doolittle and, and her and the incredible perseverance that they've shown in their um, desire to remain activists, despite all of the systemic forces in baseball that discourage that. And that like really reminds me that 2018 was kind of the year I discovered left baseball Twitter, like really <laughs> discovered it, you know, which yeah. it's such an amazing place. Like I'm, I'm sad that it took me this long and us this long to kind of like even crack into it in the small way that we've cracked into it. And it's nice to know that like the only echo chamber that is available for baseball fans isn't John Smoltz. Like I can put myself in an echo chamber of people who know that the billionaires that own teams suck. And like, I don't know, that's at least a silver lining that I can take away from all of the shitty stuff that we talked about this year. Yeah. And, you know, as we're about to get into, there was a lot of really joyous on field stuff that I think showcases the, honestly, the, the the future that, baseball could have right if we all just Mm -hmm. kind of learned to lighten up a little bit and not take it so seriously i mean there are certainly some uh interesting conversations that we'll we'll throw into this highlight reel um but there's a lot in there i think that shows that there is a a bright future for baseball if if it actually wants it so you you heard it here first on tipping pitches we think this baseball thing has a bright future (laughs) <laughs> you don't need to hear that from us but uh <laughs> all right before we get into it we're gonna we're going to just as a as a quick briefing we're just gonna we did this last year but uh we're just going to share some of our favorite segments and some of the ones that we had the most fun uh recording the most fun researching the most fun talking about all that stuff but before we do that i am bobby wagner i'm alex Paisley. And this is the Tipping Pitches 2018 Year in Review. Typically how this show works is that you and I get on an internet call 
and we start to record and then I ask you what we want to talk about this week. <laughs> and you usually come with some funny things that happened that you, you know, saw a tweet of or read on Deadspin or whatever, or we talk about like the the weekend news and the our first segment that we're gonna look back on was very different from that. Um it was a love letter to backyard baseball. It was episode thirty-three and it came out on March eleventh. Arguably the only professional episode we've ever had. We're <laughs> we're the fakest podcast of them all, as we titled <laughs> an episode uh, once this year. But Backyard Baseball, we got a chance to talk to one of the original creators of the game. His name was Nick Markovich. He was incredibly helpful, incredibly fun to talk to, and it was an incredibly enlightening experience for you and me having played the game so much growing up. So we're just going to bring you a quick highlight of that. We encourage you to go listen to the full episode as we do with all of these but if you are going to choose one full episode to go listen to i do hope it's this one because we put a lot of effort and a lot of time into it i'm sunny day and together with my pal vinnie the gooch we'll bring Sunny Day and, and Vinny the Gooch. <laughs> oh, that might be Loki the best part. Honestly, I'll take them over Joe Buck. Way too much cotton candy True. today so that you're not hungry at dinner time tonight. Your parents will think it's the funniest thing since your last report card. What is so he talking about? Get on with the ball game. <laughs> He's just going. I think it's sort of hard to overstate just how much this game meant to us like when we were kids and just how much time we put into playing this game i remember just sitting in front of the computer for hours and my mom being like dinner like you gotta do your homework that kind of stuff and just not wanting to stop playing this game because the the method of the game is that you can start you know a season with a team and go throughout and then play in the playoffs with that same team and win the world series with that team and crazy competitive young me who was just starting to play little league was like this is amazing i can do this with my team in little league and i could come home and do it with my team on backyard baseball so this is really like the first thing the first kind of game where i had like a long storyline that i could follow up with and that was like the genesis of my personal connection with it um, and what I remember the most is just putting together a team, whether it be the Mets or, you know, another team, or you could kind of create your own team with wonky names and stuff going back to the 97 version. Yeah, it was something that I think it was really easy to forge a relationship with. And we'll and we'll go into this a little bit more later on in the episode about the players that we really liked and just kind of how friendly they all seemed. And But it's something about recreating that idea of the backyard spirit, right? I mean, it's very idealized among all young kids growing up playing baseball is a a game of wiffle ball in the backyard and getting together with kids from around the neighborhood or even just like your, your brother or sister or something like that. And, and the fact that this game was able to kind of take that whole spirit and I mean, I suppose you could you could on the one hand be like, well, they're taking the spirit and they're putting it onto a screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the cynical look at it. But it was kind of striking how much you kind of did 
start to forge relationships with these players and and it was accessible to everyone no matter where you were or kind of or what you were doing what your personal situation was um you didn't have to have a bat or you didn't have to have eight friends from around the neighborhood to to pick up a game and start playing and uh, that was really impressive to me Here's Nick Murkovich, the creator and a co-designer of the game. I am a brother um, with, I have four other brothers. So we're a family of five boys um, and we were in a military family. We moved around a lot. Um, so playing outside sports and outside games was a big deal. Mom would always kick us out, right? So we would collect people from the neighborhood and we would play games. And, and that was what I remember as a kid doing a lot of um playing baseball with your friends um just building making teams um you know using the ghost runners and all-time pitchers and and all the different uh rules that we would come up with and it was just fun um and so that that i remembered a lot um bad bad news bears of course was a really big hit um for me as a kid i loved that movie all of them actually which is probably sad um the (laughs) Like some of those later ones were hard to watch now, but back then I, I loved them. <laughs> um, and so that was that was definitely a part of it as well. Um, but the real kind of how I, I thought about and how I created it, um, I was working on, we made adventure games there at Humongous. It was just adventure games for kids, which it was a really good niche. And I really liked doing that, but... I wanted to do something that I wanted to play more. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to play a game. And I played a lot of uh, baseball games on NES and all of the different consoles because we had them all at, at, at our house. Um, so baseball was, a was it seemed to me, the easiest one to do. It's a station-to-station type of game. It seemed, when I thought about it, it seemed uh, easy. But obviously, once I talked to the, the programmers, um, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was, <laughs> but so that, that was the pitch was like, okay, let's make something with kids getting together and playing baseball. And, um, I, I had a, my initial idea was a lot more like story based, a lot more like a season in the life of a neighborhood kids, kind of more like a sandlot type story, mm-hmm. um, where you, they're, they're collecting these kids and th- maybe, some kid moves into the neighborhood midway through the season. Um, somebody else uh, has to do um, piano lessons and can't go to the games. And, yeah. and so like that would happen throughout the, um, the season. That was kind of my, the, what I was really thinking, how it would work. And then in between, your actions, your wins and your losses would affect how that story played out. And you could play it multiple times and it would have different stories and stuff like that. So it was probably overcomplicated you know, as far as what I, I envisioned. And then basically I, I came, went to work. I pitched it um, to, a, I, I showed it actually to Rich Mo, um, who, who was a programmer there. And I said, hey, would this be a game, do you think? And he kind of helped me uh, consolidate the pitch into a like a one-pager. And I presented it to Ron Gilbert, who was the head of Humongous Programming God, um, Ron, Ron Gilbert. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a design god. Uh, he's one of the one of the big ones. And so I, I went to him and I said, "Hey, this is an this could be interesting. 
what, 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 do, what do you think? And he, I think he was a little bit, he's like, oh, I'll look at it. We'll see. We're doing what we're doing. We, we have a, a trajectory. Things are going this way. Um, and then out of nowhere, really, a couple months later, all of a sudden it was going. It was like, it's on, Nick. You know, we're doing this. The Rich came over to my office when I got there. It's like, we're doing backyard baseball. We're talking about it right now, you know. Come on into this office, you know, and um, and I think what happened was the Mariners started doing good. Pitch to Edgar Martinez now, and a fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back, and it is get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a grand salami, and the Mariners lead it ten to six. And Ron just kind of got into the fever of baseball and so from that and that and that's just me conjecture I, I think that that's how what happened but um all of a sudden it was on the table and we're making it i just happened to be working on another project at the time i was working on um putt putt um travels through time which was a, a adventure game for kids we're deep into it it was a huge game um it was my first lead so I didn't really want to leave it, but I didn't want to give it my, my game away either. And luckily, um, they gave it to Rich Mo and Mark Pizer, and um, I shared an office with Mark. So I got to hear all their conversations. I chirped in whenever I could. Um, when I finally finished our game, I was able to jump onto there, do some animations, and, and definitely help with the gameplay and uh, help with some of the designs on that side. of how, just Because how, they didn't play baseball games. I was the kind of conduit for that. Rich and Mark, though, I think that made it even better because they were coming from it a different angle. And they, they were really thinking more really about the kids, the characters, and how they play. And, their, and, and they put in a lot of their memories of playing sports. My memories was I wasn't a horrible baseball player. I, was, I wasn't the best, but I wouldn't be picked last. And I think that... <laughs> There was a lot more of this, you know, uh, there's an, uh, different levels of how p- people play. You know, there, there's certain play- players that are really, 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 really good. And then there are players that aren't. And they definitely put that in there. I was, I probably, if it was me, I probably would have not have had as many bad players on the team, on the thing. <laughs> um, but once that was kind of in there, it felt more real, actually, you know, and, uh, and we kind of kept that uh, throughout all of the uh, incarnations of baseball. So as Bobby said, you should absolutely go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. Also, if you're interested in playing backyard baseball, which I know you are because me and Bobby absolutely were down to do that and wasted many an hour playing backyard baseball. Uh, it's we had a hard time trying to coordinate it as we do with everything. So hard. Lots of lots of torrents and that sort of thing. But uh, it is in the description of the episode, a uh, full instructions on how to play it yourself right this very second. Moving on from that, this next one comes from episode 61, the Bryce Harper grooming experience. 
We we really got this one in under the wire. We like created a a whole new brand for ourselves like in the last month of 2018 and it was hair products apparently. <laughs> um we went way too deep on Bryce Harper's hair routine uh and it resulted in I think one of the funnier on-air discoveries we've ever had on tipping pitches. My favorite moment of it was that it ended up being really organic. Like, I didn't know that you were going to tell me about this barbershop, and those are my favorite moments on the pod. I will add, as an addendum to this before we get right into it, my mom bought me the shampoo and body wash from the Bryce Harper collection, and it's delightful, as expected. So, without further ado. The next comical amount of money that we'll probably talk about this offseason is either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado's contract. But we're not going to be the podcast that's like, Bryce Harper should get $400 million. Counterpoint, he shouldn't. We're going to be the podcast that fully (laughs) breaks down (laughs) the perm that was on Bryce Harper's head. If you're listening and you haven't seen it right now, I need you to pause. I need you to go to the Tipping Pitches Twitter account and I need you to look for the Bryce Harper perm. It's in our recent tweets. Unless you're driving, don't do that. Alex, next time I see you, I need you to have this hairstyle. I absolutely will. It... (laughs) I just pulled it up right now and oh my God. I... Only he, only he could do this. It... Especially... It looks especially funny with like the like lumberjack beard that he's rocking. He's got uh-huh. the full facial hair and then just a beautiful mop of hair that's like kind of falling into his eyes. I, yeah, it's, it's very on brand. I support like everything about this picture. Okay. Everything in the background. There's like, like a merch table. What is that? I don't know. Him and his wife, look, they look so happy together. His wife is like always posting on Insta, I follow her too. I follow them both because this is what I do with my life. His wife is always posting like fun photos of stuff that they're doing in the off season. Like he plays the game with such fun. He lives the off season with such fun. I'm like, y'all are hating on Bryce for <laughs> nothing. Y'all are haters if you don't enjoy this content. Um, yeah. we're, this is not a visual medium, so we won't spend a bunch of time breaking it down. Um, wait, wait, real quick. Okay. So I was curious, you mentioned the merch table in the back and I, I zoomed in and I saw that the, the pennant that's hanging there, uh, says stay handsome. So I Googled stay handsome to see what came up. So apparently the place that Bryce Harper gets his haircut is right here in New York city. It's called blind barber. And when you go to blindbarber.com, the first thing that comes up is a picture of Bryce Harper with them advertising the Bryce Harper collection. <laughs> what? Wait, so shout out to you is... for doing real research for the podcast. You're a fucking <laughs> professional. <laughs> like he's like a, an actual spokesperson for this um, haircut shop. And it, you can like see all his, you know, like recommended uh, like amenities, like all the, uh, all the things that he uh, treats himself with, like the, like the sea salt spray and the pomade that he uses and his daily face moisturizer. He uses water mint, water mint gin daily face moisturizer. Oh my God. This is literally a whole new world. (laughs) Wait, can I ask you, where is the barbershop? Um, please say Williamsburg, please say Williamsburg, please say Williamsburg. Mm, it looks like they closed their Brooklyn location. 
but they are located in on a on East 10th Street. So maybe I'll have to drop by there. They, don't, they actually they actually did have a location in Williamsburg. Yes. <laughs> if you don't go, I'm going to be mad at you for a year. Calendar know, year. Like, yeah. You have to go. Get your get a Bryce Harper haircut. You I'm going to I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna walk in and be like, "Give me the Bryce, please." They'll be like, "Which one?" I'm I guess, on their website oh, right now. He's like the header image. You get yeah, you get one free drink with every haircut. This oh is my. so this is like a, a place where you go. This is I do not want to know how much this place costs. This barbershop is like the barbershop version of Bryce Harper. Like if you took a barbershop <laughs> and made it into a human, it would be Bryce Harper. <laughs> Incredible stuff from uh, our man is, Bryce. I want to buy they have the the Bryce Harper collection set for like that you can buy for 60 bucks. So I think what I'm going to do with our radio public funds is I'm going to buy the Bryce Harper collection set and treat my give myself the Bryce Harper treatment for like a month and just see how I feel on like the other end. Like can I hit a baseball 500 feet now that I've used <laughs> his water mint gin face wash? If you think I'm not getting you this for Christmas, you don't know me at all <laughs> and I'm I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> wow, this has made my day. I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, at some point in 2019, I may have to commit to the perm the way that Bryce did, just for the content. I I really hope that you do, honestly. We <laughs> might have to start a vlog just so we can see the transformation. We're going to go we, full... That's too full, much work. Full uh, four-dimensional media, 21st century project, man. We're pivoting to perms. Um, this next segment comes from our interview with Aaron Dolan, which we wanted to highlight because it was, first of all, I think maybe our favorite interview that we've ever done. And we interviewed a former MLB player, which was amazing. Also, shout out to Fernando Perez, which was at the very, very end of 2017. Um, if you want to go even further back in the catalog, if you're a true diehard. But our interview with Aaron, like I said at the top of the show, was really enlightening for how much effort is being put towards changing baseball and changing the community around baseball. And Aaron talked so much about that. Um, she talked about her and Sean's dogs. She talked about Oakland. She talked about how they met via Twitter. It was like hitting all of the high notes of the Tipping Pitches catalog. And... Aaron was just the most pleasant person to talk to and uh, so nice to come on and talk to us. So we can't have a Tipping Pitches year interview without just one of the best interviews we could have ever dreamed of. Yeah, you always worry. Like, I'm always kind of worried, like, when we set up interviews, like, is this person going to be chill? Like, I really admire this person, but, like, are they just going to be kind of, like, a dick when you talk to them? Nope. <laughs> not the case at all. Chillest person in the entire world. Um, all right. Let's get into Aaron. But speaking of that kind of outspokenness, uh, you and Sean are are really outspoken on a lot of social justice issues, um, LGBTQ rights, veterans rights, uh, the, the refugee crisis. Um, which in some sense kind of bucks a trend in baseball, which is more a little more conservative. And, and we've talked about that a little bit on this podcast before, about why baseball is just kind of so 
um, reserved in that sense of of coming out and actually taking a, sa- a stand. And so I just kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit, why you feel the need to, I don't know, use your platform in this way, and what is it about baseball that I think is so unique in that regard? Yeah, baseball is unique in that regard. I think you see it a little bit with some football players, um, which is code for white football players. Um, I think you tend to see that more with, I mean, it's a predominantly white sport, baseball, you know, it's, and the culture that is able to get through the minor leagues typically it's not always the best performance that gets you through that. It's sometimes the people who can afford it most. And that's to say they don't get paid very well. So if you don't have, you know, that, um, what's, what's the word? Um, when you get drafted, what's the, like a the, uh, signing bonus, signing bonus, signing bonus. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The <laughs> signing bonus, what paid for my student loans. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what it was um no i'm kidding i'm still paying those off so if Aren't you don't have those yeah <laughs> so i went back to college so i wouldn't have to keep paying those i could just keep putting it off i should have considered that so, yeah think about it perpetual grad school so you know it's it, there's something about the culture in minor league baseball where if you can afford it if you don't have a signing bonus you may have to get another job you might not be able to afford to continue to play baseball so what you get is a group of people who come to the big leagues who by, you know, they're all incredibly talented and unquestionably some of the most talented people, you know, in, in, on the planet, but you're missing out on a few who may not have had those opportunities, may not have had those privileges. So you get a culture that's a little bit different in baseball than maybe say another sport where they may, you know, pay their um, minor league or, or, you know, semi-pro or whatever the case may be athletes a little bit better. Um, to develop them. So another part of it is the big hotspots in baseball, I think, are um, they're, they're, it's a, you have to, now the way that the sport is played and developed, you have to have kind of a lot of money to play. And I'm not just talking about like travel teams. I'm talking about the money you have to sink into the costs associated to get seen on the, by scouts on these travel teams, showcase teams, everything like that. So the talent you're seeing on the field now has come from a world that I, I guess can afford it most. And I, I'm not saying those are correlated whatsoever with, you know, their politics, personal politics, but you're going to get people who, have had very different life experiences than you may encounter in say the NFL, NBA, um, et cetera. So in, in Sean's case, he's felt the need to speak out because he shouldn't be here. He should not be doing this. He should have been gone on a training table, you know, eight years ago, you know, when he was trying to be a first baseman. And at this point he's playing with house money kind of, he took a chance on trying pitching and he, it, it worked, but it should not have worked. And every day we're like, we feel incredibly lucky to have the opportunity we have. And we just know how short that window is. So it's really important to us to leverage our platform responsibly, given the short amount of time he may have to do something like this and to have people take him seriously for his ability, you know, based on his ability to throw a ball kind of fast. Like it, it doesn't make sense, but people do tend to give a little bit more gravity to 
people who, you know, are in the spotlight. So we, we do want to leverage that position. You know, I think you have a couple of chances if you play a sport like that. You can use your name and position and leverage it to get, you know, a good deal on a really nice car or, you know, the best, you know, VIP room at a really nice restaurant. And that's not to say, like, we wouldn't love to do that if anyone would like to offer that to us. But <laughs> In case we have any car say, dealerships listening. <laughs> I'm sure you have a glut of them listening right now. <laughs> your, that's your main demo, right? Yeah, that's actually yes. who we aim for. <laughs> Try to like trip the Twitter algorithm to be just for car dealerships. Tipping pitches brought to you by CarMax. So um, that's my version of a really high-end car dealership, apparently. Um, so, But, you know, like I said, you have two opportunities in that position. You can use your position to, you know, get a really nice, you know, get perks kind of. Or I think you can use it and do some research, do some homework, find out what people, what is important to people that, kind of allow you to be where you are. So that's what we try to do. So that's taken from episode 30, Tipping Pitches, presented by CarMax. Uh, this next segment <laughs> is actually maybe one of the only ones I went back and listened to and cracked up, like, again. And I know that sounds really self-indulgent. Self-indulgent. I, I swear. <laughs> and it is. I'm kind of an asshole. But this this is one of my favorite segments we did all year long. And not only was it brand because we were roasting Red Sox fans, but it was also us trying to interpret a very visual piece of content for you uh, over audio. This came to you courtesy of two Red Sox fans who swiped a Red Sox playoff banner. And the Boston Globe produced a wonderful chef's kiss quality video of them uh, explaining the heist. Alex, are you ready? I am so ready. I. <laughs> this is probably the only... If you, if you would have told me that we would have a video that would top Shohei Otani singing Despacito this week, I I wouldn't have believed you. I would have I would have shut you down. But here we are, man. This is Boston fans delivered as they always do. <laughs> you could say that they always do. Sure. Uh, <laughs> seriously, big week in uh, in videos on tipping pitches. Here we go. Now we have our coffee. We're on. We're driving on McGrath Highway in Somerville. Already impressively northeast. Started like, with the coffee, just right <laughs> off the bat. What kind of coffee do you think it was? <laughs> what do you think? It's got to be Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> got to be Dunkin'. <laughs> and I noticed a couple cars swinging, like moving to the right, and we seen something in the street. It's at and this point like, that I have to say, there's just a dog barking in the background of the video, and the Boston Globe, who put together this video, um... We probably should have mentioned that. Shout out to the Boston Globe for digging this story up. Uh, the Boston Globe who put together this video wasn't like, can we put this dog outside? <laughs> Come on, guys. Think about your audio. And he's like, Louie, what is that? What is I'm like, I don't know. I don't. What is it? So I ran across the highway to grab it. We brought it in the car. We had no idea what it was. It was wrapped up in a, a brown paper bag. <laughs> Wait, can we can we just point out that he just said he saw a brown paper bag on the highway 
And it disturbed him so much that he ran across several lanes of traffic to go and pick it up, knowing he had no idea what was inside. But he was like, this is this is God telling me something. Yeah. So he's driving by on the highway. He sees trash and he's like, this is a foreign substance to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's continue. First thing I said, this belongs to the Red Sox. This is for Fenway Park. Yeah. Like, how do we have this? <laughs> First thing I said was, this belongs to the Red Sox. I, Fenway I really, Park. <laughs> I, I heard this video and I thought that Boston Globe reporters were doing a dramatic reading, like something that you and I would do, like just goofing off. But this is too real to be true. People don't say that. People aren't like, I see an item and I'm like, this belongs to my mother. Or like... <laughs> This belongs to the United States. I see a flag. This belongs to the United States of America. <laughs> I guess people probably do say that last one, but <laughs> anyway. Like, how do we have this? Like, nobody made this. This belongs to the pack. I'm thinking that they hang it off the green monster. Yep. We want to give it back to them because it belongs to them and it yeah. doesn't belong to us. Yep. But in in reciprocation, we would like, you know, maybe to go yeah. to a nice playoff game or yes. we were looking for something. We just don't want to hand it over to them. Right? I mean, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> let's hear that last so, part. Wait, 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 wait. Before you continue, let's hear that last part one more time. In reciprocation, we would like, you know, maybe to go to a nice playoff game or we were looking for something. We just don't want to hand it over to them. Do you think that when the Boston Globe approached these guys to like make a video about their story, they knew that they were making a ransom video? Like, do you think that they had this in the back of their minds at all? And then the guy just started saying like, hey, maybe we want a little something in return, you know? And the Globe reporters are like, what the hell did we get ourselves into? My favorite thing about you is that you're from the Bay, and so your representation of a Boston accent is just the same as a New York accent. <laughs> uh, exact same, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm surprised their faces aren't like grayed out and their voices aren't like <laughs> made anonymous. <laughs> I, I the the part of the video that isn't conveyed here that you just have to watch to experience is that like. The interview is interspersed with cuts of them just like dramatically folding up and unfolding the flag as if it's like an American flag. Like they don't put it on the ground. They they lay out this piece of cloth and wrap it up in it. Like it's it's pretty incredible. I feel like I would treat the 2015 NL uh, pennant the same way, you know, so I can't blame them for that part of it. The part that I will critique them for, though, is the first thing out of the guy's mouth. In his own words, he's re-describing the story. The first thing out of the guy's mouth was, first thing I thought was, this belongs to the Boston Red Sox. (laughs) And then the second thing that he thought was, I got to get something for this. (laughs) Like, what an enterprising, young, kind of neo-Nazi looking gentleman. I respect it. Right. I mean, no, no. we need to negotiate here. We want to, we're looking for like, you know, we're working too. Yeah. I mean, my man has <laughs> We're working too. <laughs> we Again, ran several, across three several lanes. lanes of traffic. <laughs> wow. Okay. The A's just clinched. We're recording this on a Monday night, which is rare for us, but the A's just clinched a playoff spot um, because the Rays lost tonight to the Yankees. Would you 
run across three lanes of traffic to get the A's wildcard banner. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the only thing that makes this funny is that it's Boston fans. If it was me, would I do the same thing? Hell yeah. <laughs> The our great the greatest pastime that we have as baseball fans is making fun of Boston fans for doing things that we would probably also do for our teams. Yeah, pretty much. But you can just be like, yeah, but they're from Boston, so like <laughs> they're like we would jump out of a burning building to get the banner. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep going. There's there's forty five more seconds. We know that that's the original one. We were told there was only one made. Yeah, we were told there was only one so banner made. At that made. point, that tells us. But then they told us they had a duplicate. So if they do try to put a duplicate up, you yep. best believe we're going to show up and say... We have the right one. That's not the yep. right... That's not the original. So we're hoping that they don't make one. And they- <laughs> <laughs> we were told that there was only one. Who told them? <laughs> because apparently Boston Red Sox, the official stance of the organization is that there's another one out there because they just said there's a duplicate. So uh, who yeah. told them that this was the original one? <laughs> the the enterprising young journalists over at the Boston Globe reached out to like the flag making company who made this banner, and the PR guy was like, "Oh yeah, we already have another one made," <laughs> which like <laughs> blows their entire thing to pieces. The guys are like, "No, but but this is the real one," and it's like, <laughs> "Oh, it's the real one." This is the Betsy Ross flag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's power through right to the end. Twenty five more seconds, and they and they put the right one up. We're hoping they do the right thing. Yep. You know, we did the right thing. We could have kept it. We could have put it on eBay. We could, you know, we got connections where we could have reached out to other sources. We're big supporters of the Red Sox, and we want to see them win. And we want this banner to go back on Lansdowne <laughs> Street or wherever it belongs. We could have put it on eBay, Alex. Think about that. Yeah. We could have Can put you imagine it on- the amount of money they would have made off this thing? <laughs> people, all eight people that still go to eBay.com would have been on a crazy <laughs> bid off for it. <laughs> My dad would have probably been one of those eight people, I just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, so like the, the video is the centerpiece of this story, but like there's an actual like reported piece behind this, right? And the, the banner making company, the PR guy, uh, doubled down in an interview and was like, there's no way this banner just happened to fall off a truck while they were driving. Like what? The back of the truck just flew open and this one banner just happened to roll out onto the street. The the guy was like, I don't know if it fell off or it uh, just walked off the the truck. And then he calls, he calls the guy. He says, these guys stole my banner and should be ashamed of themselves. This is not Boston. <laughs> isn't it <laughs> though? Isn't it Boston? <laughs> to which one of the guys responded, they lost the censored, it's expletive. They're the ones that expletive up. I found it. I'm trying to do the right thing. And I'm like, yeah, man, you so are here. You are in the right 100% in this one. Didn't it turn out that they ended up getting nothing for this? Yeah, they, they gave it back and they didn't get anything. Ah, oh, true Sox fans right there. He did it for the good of the socks. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I was going to say, like, what is your theory for how this banner just ended up on the side of the road? Uh, it probably didn't. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't wrapped know about that. Perf- perfectly wrapped up in a brown paper bag, like fucking lunch in middle school. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, maybe it was. Hey, maybe we shouldn't doubt the guys. They, uh, you know, they're good, hardworking people. They don't deserve to have their name slandered like this. Maybe they just found a banner and wanted to be a couple of good Samaritans, you know? What are their names? Joey and Tommy? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's Louie. <laughs> and uh, James. That's James. interesting. Uh, he probably goes by Jimmy. I was surprised it wasn't, (laughs) I thought it was going to be like Ted and Carlton or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was pulled from episode 54, September 25th, the car tangled banner. Shout out to the Boston Globe. Shout out to the brand and shout out to Red Sox fans being on brand. True. Literally always. All right, let's move on. Uh, I'm going to keep this short. Some dumb NYU professor proposed a rule change in the Wall Street Journal, and we flamed it. Because guess what? As we said earlier, baseball, pretty good. Although you don't need us to tell you that. So without further ado, a radical rule change to save baseball. Episode 51, we're old school now. But this speaks to a a larger conversation that we have many times on this podcast about uh, what might be wrong with baseball today and what is right about baseball today. And it leads to, and, and not just among us, it has led to hand-wringing among pretty much everyone involved with baseball about like, what can we, what can we do to fix the game? Like, uh, like baseball is too long. Baseball games are too boring. It's too slow. It's just uh, this and that, or are strikeouts killing the game? Or well, I don't know. We have we have discussed many a uh, problem with baseball. Problem in scare quotes, mm-hmm. uh, and and this has kind of become a, a beat of ours. So of course we have to talk about the piece in the Wall Street Journal from this past week, titled "A Radical Pitch to Save Baseball." <laughs> oh you know what baseball needs radicalism absolutely (laughs) everyone is so open to that in the world of baseball and obviously it's going to be the wall street journal leading the charge oh yeah hashtag wall street journal join the resistance (laughs) (laughs) uh the deck for this article is titled a pair of academics offer a dramatic rule to increase competitiveness and cut almost a half hour from a nine inning game so so you ready for this bobby Hold on, before you start reading, I, I want to say, I haven't read this article. I saw a lot of backlash to it on Twitter. I kind of know where it's going, whatever. There's literally not a single word of that deck that appeals to me. <laughs> not one. <laughs> nope. A pair of academics. All right, I'm out. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not even just academics. Guess what uh, Guess what university one uh, is a professor at? Isn't it Harvard? Uh, maybe, but what's is the other the... one NYU? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. obviously, that's so good. That's yeah. so good. Wow. Yeah. We are the most qualified people in the world to talk about this article. <laughs> we absolutely are. Um, so the the rule that they are proposing is called, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. It's called the ketchup rule. And what it's, it's very simple and it is designed to basically give worse teams a better shot because what they want to do is, I guess some people have a problem with like, the competitiveness of some teams and you know there there's a lot of talk about teams tanking and everything like that so the, the so the point mm-hmm. is to close the gap a little bit and it's a pretty simple rule 
And so how it works is when the game is tied or zero, zero baseball is exactly the same. Nothing changes, but when one club takes a lead, then the number of outs that they get is reduced to two. So if your team is batting and you score a run, then you now get two outs in that inning instead of three. And that's it. Mm. That is the entire rule. You just, if your team is leading the literal, like one of the fundamental rules of baseball just totally changes. Wow. They they don't want to change like strikes, counts, anything like that. Just the outs. Nope. It's just, so if, you know, first inning, uh, Who's the who's the Yankees leadoff hitter? I don't I don't know. Brett Gardner. It's Brett Gardner. Yeah, not a good, not a good example. All right, Brett Gardner gets on, and then I don't know, whatever. Didi Gregorius or Aaron Judge hits a two run homer. Now the Yankees have two outs instead of three in that inning. You don't get that third out, and the goal of it is basically just I don't know to penalize the team for being good. I don't fucking know, man. You know what I think we should do? I think we should reverse the rule. I think the team that's losing should only get two outs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Backs against the wall, baby. What are you going to do? I, I never, I never, trust me when I say, I never thought that I would say these words out loud, but I do not need nerds who have never played the game before <laughs> coming in and telling me how baseball should be played. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh man, that is choice. That's a choice cut right there. Yeah. What are we ta- what are we talking about here? What is it? No. No. <laughs> no. What that's all I have to say. Like what this is not kickball in 5th grade. Yeah. This is the this is Major League Baseball. It's been played with 3 outs as one of the fundamental rules for 150 years. What is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> the the author of this piece, Jason Gay, um has a line in here where he says, "I know It's simple, but jarring. I don't expect the old school types to like it. Baseball isn't a sport accustomed to big changes. People still fight about the designated hitter, and that rule was introduced in the Middle Ages. Wow, at me, at me. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) He's like, old school types? Like, what? So, if I just propose a rule, if I say, um, I get to decide that some games just end after seven innings, and if you don't like it, you're old school. Sorry, this is just the new new school way of thinking. Like that's not how that works. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's not how that works at all. I'm deciding that the Mets get to go to the World Series every year. That's it. It's new school, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's new, new school. school thinking. New school, New York. Let's do it. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so this is it's, it's it's bizarre. So like. What it does in in their studies, it basically showed that if this was implemented, it would reduce the margin of victory by more than a run, and uh, like twenty four minutes would be shaved off an average nine inning baseball game. Oh, twenty four minutes! Yeah, uh, yeah, that's gonna everyone who doesn't watch baseball and doesn't know anything about it now and doesn't like the way that baseball stamps out personality and is racist and homophobic is gonna see that number twenty four minutes, and they're gonna start watching. Uh, Guarantee you this. Oh, they're going to get off Instagram. They're going to get off Twitter. They're going to get off Netflix and Hulu. They're going to say, what is this streaming bullshit? I'm going to go out to the old ballpark. 24 <laughs> minutes? Wow. I'm going to pay $13 for an IPA. Yeah. Oh, a three-hour, 11-minute ball game? Fuck that. Two hours and 48 minutes? Hell yeah, I'm on board. Oh, yeah. Get me in. Get yeah. me in there. I got even less time. I'm going to spend less money on beer and hot dogs. <laughs> I might not. I might only need to be eat one meal at a baseball game instead of two. 
sense. Like this is just so dumb. And like for what it's worth, like the writer tweeted this out and got rightfully ratioed for this because this is a ridiculous this is a ridiculous idea. And I don't think that anyone in their right mind thinks that this is good. But I do think that it speaks to this kind of fundamental idea of like how we look at the problem with baseball, especially when it comes to like competitiveness, in that we look at good teams and we look at bad teams and we turn to the good teams and we say, you're too good. This is not fair. You're cheating by accumulating these players and spending money. And therefore, we have to make you slightly less good to give everyone a better chance. And Mm -hmm. it's so ridiculous because why are we not turning to the bad teams and saying, you're not good enough. You're not spending enough money to put a competitive product onto the ball field. We need to find some way to compel you to be better. Like making good teams slightly less good is not going to get anyone more interested in baseball. Like, hey, here are the historically good uh, 2018 Red Sox. Now they're 20% less good. Do you want to watch now? (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The Warriors, every time they go up by more than 15, they're not allowed to have Steph and KD on the court at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That's new school. school. (laughs) Steph's only allowed to shoot threes when the Warriors uh, aren't up by more than 15. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. I think like it's a very top down way of looking at it, like a, a very top down way of fixing competitiveness in baseball, doing like weird gimmicks to make competitive teams jump through loopholes as opposed to forcing the Wilpons to sell the Mets, you know, for example, like yeah. it's not that the solutions are there. Twitter figured them out like eight years ago, dude. It's yeah. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely, the people, I mean, Jason Kay has written some some stuff that I actually like, and I I haven't read the article, so I don't want to say. But the way that it, you presented it, it's not it wasn't his idea. He was writing about like a study, right? Um, right. Yeah, he was he was writing about these two professors who just came up with this idea. Yeah, I mean it's clickbaity as fuck, and like what where where it's 2018. Even the Wall Street Journal needs to do some clickbaity stuff. But I just I'm sick of like writers being obsessed with this idea of uh, like baseball needs to fundamentally change rather than like baseball needs to change the way that it talks about itself. Cause I would love any writer to find me one person that doesn't watch baseball because it's 24 minutes longer and who would watch baseball if it was like under that magical three hour number that Rob Manfred like sits up in bed in cold sweats thinking about <laughs> in the middle of the night. I don't think that's a thing. And I've never met anyone who thinks that's a thing. I've met people who like baseball because they grew up watching baseball and that's it or adopted it later on because of certain things. Those certain things being they liked the personalities of Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor or whatever. Yeah, they found God. Yeah, they found God. Uh, They found a ballpark in their town that they really liked that's cheap enough to go to with their friends when they're like in their 20s or whatever. I've met a lot of people like that living in a city. And so if your solution to baseball's viewership problem or whatever, or baseball's age problem, which granted, those are facts. Don't don't get me wrong. That, that That's a problem. And we, we rail against that all the time. That the reason that baseball is so white is because baseball is so old. But if your solution to baseball does not involve promoting those things that I was just saying, that the reason that people find baseball later in life if your solution doesn't involve promoting those things, promoting personalities, promoting affordability and accessibility to games, then your solution to baseball is wrong. It's just, it's not actually a solution. You're not fixing a problem. 
you're making up a problem in your head and, and it's like you're straw manning the hell out of that. Okay, hear me out. This rule change is actually good because it would take. make it would make the old white men so furiously angry that the game is changing that they would just disavow it completely and we just rid them of the spore. Like this is just like this is like the toxin that you need to drink just to like wash out the the stuff from your body and then baseball can be reborn anew and we can just get rid of the, just get rid of the rule again and we've got rid of a uh, rid of the toxicity. That I'm still mad about that proposed rule change. Like even just listening to that segment riles me up a little bit. And I tell anyone going. on the street who's willing to listen. Yeah, honestly. I pass by a stranger, we make eye contact. I'm like, did you see this fucking thing in the Wall Street Journal about two outs? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> All right, moving right along. This next segment came from one of our biggest uh, online projects that we did. And that was the 2018 All Gift Draft, our way of previewing the season the the only way we knew how, which is obviously through the most gifable players. So you and I went back and forth and drafted uh, many teams of who we wanted to represent the the fun and exuberance that we think baseball needs to see more of. So. We, you and I had so much fun doing this, literally yeah. coming up with the idea, doing the draft itself, kind of keeping it alive throughout the season from time to we time. Tried. We tried. Yeah. We tried. But the uh, the initial idea was fun, and I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, have, we'll have to revisit that in 2019. But uh, we're definitely revisiting that in 2019. You're not, you don't need to keep it from the people. It's coming back. <laughs> Um, but to give you a taste of what 2018 was like, here is the all gift draft from episode 35, the tipping pitches season preview. Just the first two picks. So don't start skipping ahead. Don't worry. We'll keep it tight. We actually also brought in our friend, Rob Manfred to announce (laughs) the picks. So (laughs) our friend, LOL, Robert Manfred, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna do it. Bryce Harper. Okay, nice. <laughs> He's so fun. <laughs> He's so. I hate to just be the reductive analysis guy, yeah. but think about the possibilities. He's a bat flipper. He hits monstrous home runs. He his helmet falls off basically once a game. Or his hat, you know, when he's making a sliding catch in the outfield. And he's always had a flair for the dramatic. Like, he slides or dives when he doesn't need to, just because he knows his hat will fall off and he'll be able to flip his hair backwards. And he's got the eye black, which makes for a nice gif. You know, you just do the zoom in real quick and he's got the eye black everywhere. He's just a very aesthetically pleasing baseball player to me. So, Bryce Harper is my number one choice. Sorry, I love the Mets. I just, I love Bryce too. Yeah, yeah, you got the moonshots, you got the hair, it's... The stare downs, man. He's he's got it all. Yeah, he'll fight. Yeah, that could be a gif. He his gif last year was fighting Hunter Strickland. <laughs> so like, I don't know. You have literally the whole package with Bryce Harper. Yep. And also, he's like the second best player in the league. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, all right. I feel good about that pick. I feel good. I got that off my chest. <laughs> I don't feel like a, a Mets trader. <laughs> okay, uh, my first pick in the all gift draft. I gotta go with my boy Yasiel Puig for this mm. one obvious pick but 
He's got the bat flips down, right? It doesn't matter if it's a single, it's a home run, it's a freaking walk. He will flip the bat. You know that he will. The on-field, off-field antics, um, those are good. I, I still remember a gif of him that I have that I don't think I ever tweeted out, of him like digging through the the bubblegum basket that they have in the dugout because he's looking for a very specific flavor. And I'm like, this is me. <laughs> and he's looking for like 15 seconds, like pulling out handfuls. <laughs> Oh, I love him. Yeah. I love him so much. Big home runs. He uh he's got the smiles. He's got stare downs. Yeah. He's got it all he's the he's the the six tool gift player. <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, so you took Puig and the NL West for as good of a division as it is was kind of weak when it came to the gift board. The all the all gift big board. Yeah. <laughs> what are I we th- calling this thing? <laughs> I had a very hard time finding other people from the NL West other than Puig. So this is kind of a flex on your part, taking yeah. someone with your first pick from a, a shallow uh, division. Like the NL East is kind of a loaded division when it comes to the all gift board. But it's, I felt like I needed really to get loaded. But yeah, so you kind of knocked off like half my options for the NL West right there. <laughs> I know. He was my only one. So I was kind of hoping you weren't going to take him because I didn't have another option. <laughs> Shout out to the gift draft. You can find, as Alex said, the web version of that, where we wrote little blurbs for all of our dudes. We picked our favorite gifts that represent our players the most. Um, and you can find that at our website at tippingpitches.atavis.com. Or if you just search tipping pitches all gift draft, we're we're in that Google result, you know? Somehow we're the only uh, blog t- called Tipping Pitches that has ever done an all gift draft. I don't know how someone didn't hop on that before us, but yeah, but th- definitely thanks, not thankfully a niche that, thing. that propelled us up to number one. Yeah. <laughs> all right, moving on. I love like I love like what we used to fucking talk about. Yeah. Bobby and Alex talk a bit of transactional news coming out of Oakland oh and God. highlight Brandon Moss's comments about the slow offseason. Remember that? I do remember that, yes. A simpler time where our podcast was more boring. Literally, the, <laughs> the, the <laughs> episode right after that starts off with Alex and Bobby banter about, banter some, about recent some recent transactions. transactions. <laughs> Including you, Darvish, to the Cubs, Todd Frazier, to the Mets. Uh, anyway, uh, this next segment comes from that very episode, episode 28, An Overdue Retirement. And this was uh, this one was your idea. You dug up some of the, the choice cuts from the very bizarre, strangely right-wing leaning (laughs) (laughs) baseball groups that you joined on a whim on Facebook. And you went through the comments on various threads about the Indians permanently getting rid of the Chief Wahoo logo. And frankly, some people were were not happy, Bob. They were not happy. What you could call them is Mad Online. All right, so I'm I'm just in like a few of these groups, as I said earlier. And in this group, it's called For the Love of Baseball. Baseball in all caps. Not just baseball. Baseball! For the love of baseball! <laughs> Some guy named Scott posted a selfie of himself in a post that has since been deleted. I'm <laughs> says, I'm a diehard Astros fan, but I'll be wearing this hat when the Indians show up in Houston. He's wearing an Indians hat with Chief Wahoo logo on it. I'll be wearing... 
this hat when the Indians show up in Houston for the rest of my life to show my support for Chief Wahoo and to object to politically correct snowflakes. Oh, my God. That's prime. He got it all in there. He's personally <laughs> supporting Chief Wahoo, Chief who's Wahoo, not a person. The guy, Chief Wahoo, obviously. And then someone commented back to our guy, Scott, just being like, this is stupid. You're stupid, basically. And my guy, Clay, responded by saying, David, who's the guy who commented back. Notice all these names. Okay, just Scott, David, Clay. And Alex and I are, are not immune to this. We also have basic generic white people names, but... David, you don't have a clue. This logo has been used for almost 100 years and is the very symbol of our beloved team, who I've been a fan of my whole life. This almost akin to losing a pet. So you and everybody really don't have a clue about how fans of the team really feel. You don't have a clue. You don't get it, Bobby. Clay came in hot. This is like losing a pet. A well, first pet. of all, that's kind of offensive in itself. Yeah. You just compared the Native American people in our country to pets. <laughs> Which is like, bro, you're undermining your point already. Second of all, you made the comment, I think David has never actually had a pet. (laughs) (laughs) This is like losing a pet? That's your whole argument for this? Come on. Back to Scott real quick where he's like, I'm supporting... I can't keep these people straight. I'm looking at the post, so I feel bad for (laughs) all you Back to Jim or or Lee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I like how he's like, I'm supporting uh, Chief Wahoo. After like you have... so many Native American groups coming out and being like, um, we don't like this. And he's like, no, but like, I'm standing for my boy, Wah, my boy, Wahoo. Yeah, my guy <laughs> who I, I met and I loved him. He was a great guy. He told yeah. me I want to be caricatured on this jersey. Great guy. Very good guy. <laughs> love him. <laughs> love, okay. love the chief. Me and the chief, we get along great. <laughs> the media won't tell you this. Okay. Um, and Baseball Fans of America, which is another group that I'm in. Same Clay. Same clay. Same clay. Same clay. I just want to say that. Clay is going around to every... <laughs> different post, same clay. Yes. Clay is going around to every group. Different group, different post. <laughs> I respect the commitment. He commented at least 15 times on um, just the generic, like, breaking, you know, this article explaining that the logo is changing. You know, the administrator of the groups basically, like, collect all of the merchandise with the Chief Wahoo logo that you can because it might be worth something someday. And Clay's like, that I might do, Chris. At least we'll have to buy a couple extra hats and shirts. So he's giving money to the organization that he's mad at for changing the logo. (laughs) (laughs) I can't follow this. Okay, and then, then his logic is later... That block C is not even close to a classic C like the Reds or the Cubs. (laughs) I read last month they might go back to the C from the middle 70s. And then someone commented underneath, that C was crooked and just ugly. (laughs) So they're just mad about the new logo. They're like, fine, you get rid of Chief Wahoo, but at least give me a real looking C. (laughs) (laughs) What is this fake C BS? And then, this is really, this is the bell of the ball right here. This (laughs) This is the cherry on top. Some guy comments, Bill. Bill, my guy, Bill. Oh, Bill. I want the ND Fighting Irish logo changed. It's offensive. And then Robert underneath. Damn. Robert. (laughs) He has two first names. Not going to read his last name, but he has two first names. Robert comments, it's only going to get worse. ISIS will have their flag on the uniform soon. Oh, God. This is so... You could not script this better. I'm not even kidding. Man. So what do you think? How long before ISIS has their flag? ISIS is really coming. They're gonna they're they're gonna come to America and be like, 
MLB, that's the first thing we're taking over. No, no, no. They're taking over the NBA first. That's why they added the jersey patch. Because oh. pretty soon that's it's not going to be like Rakuten or like uh, Oracle or whatever. It's going to be ISIS. Yeah, true. <laughs> what? These people... This is a real thing that people did. When this news came out, people were so offended that they went and they commented like Trump gifts and snowflake, snowflake, snowflake in Facebook groups that are private and they will never be seen by anyone that doesn't also feel this way. Yeah, they were like, these snowflakes want to get rid of Chief Wahoo and ISIS is going to come for our fake news kofefe and (laughs) come in this. It hurts me because it's like killing my son. What? That's like most of these posts. Yes. There's just such like a... (laughs) We go zero to 100 really fast (laughs) right here. (laughs) I just want to rewind for a hot sec. First, they come for the Chief Wahoo logo. <laughs> then ISIS is here. They're just in the country. They're on the flag. They're playing They're baseball. The Pretty soon, we're not even going to be playing baseball anymore. Yeah. Wow. Just wanted to give a quick, quick check-in on the other side. <laughs> How the other half lives. <laughs> So as we talked about at the top of the show, this was kind of the year that we discovered our voice a little bit, talking about things that we don't hear talked about a lot and foraying into lefty baseball Twitter. And someone who is very in lefty baseball Twitter is Kelly Wallace, who is the founder and editor in chief of Expanded Roster, which is a site that launched this year um, promoting views that you don't usually see in people who write and talk about baseball. It's marginalized groups, it's women, people of color, people from the LGBT community. And we talked to Kelly, I think right before that site was about to launch. Um, We talked to her a little bit about the site and just about like her perspective on becoming a baseball fan. This was episode 47, uh, Baseball, we say this because we care and it's real shit so like i said with aaron like i said with backyard baseball this is the one this is one of the ones that you're really going to want to go back and listen to in full because uh kelly was a great guest and we're very appreciative she came on our stupid baseball podcast we don't want to keep you too much longer but uh i did want to ask you before we go as and it's especially fitting as we talk about the culture around baseball how in your opinion do we bring socialism to major league baseball <laughs> I, I will nationalize baseball tomorrow let me tell you i would love who, to who do we eat first production uh, <laughs> manfred obviously uh, yes so true I, well like right because that's the real thing it would <laughs> if i think if we all as fans in the community controlled baseball, it would be infinitely better. Um, but the, yeah, the capitalist interest in baseball is honestly really what does drive a lot of the problems that we see here. I mean, again, we mentioned this with the um, international free agents, but you know, the money that is made off of these young people that they never see in return, I, that they never you know, they never get the return that these teams get from the way that they sign them. They're often incredibly underpaid, especially players who don't play in the major leagues. 
um, that's ex- uh, exploitative. You have, you know, teams that manipulate service time for players to delay their free agency. You know, you saw the Cubs do it with Chris Bryan and he's, every team does it. I don't, you know, I don't even want to call out one team because they all do it. Um, and, you know, yeah. the, the amount of teams that'll, that, that, you know, right now the White Sox are doing it with, um, uh, Eloy. You know, it's, it's really sad. The, the ways that, People feel that they can use labor and and use take advantage of uh, the CBA and take advantage of the the players union to sort of squeeze all of the money and service that they can out of these guys without compensating them appropriately for it. it it's baffling, honestly. And it, you know, when you think about the fact that revenues continue to skyrocket, the fact that players aren't seeing any benefit from that or seeing any increase in their salaries or improvement in their conditions is um is it's horrifying really and i know it's hard to make that argument to to fans because they say oh you know he has a 126 million dollar contract what does he have to complain about or you know the top players look at all the money they make first of all most baseball players like 98% of them aren't Bryce Harper um, so the amount of players that get those kinds of big contracts, first of all, are very few and far between. But second of all, why are you worried about what a player is making? Because the percentage they make in comparison to what ownership makes and in comparison to the profit that these teams are making is minuscule. And it's more about what proportion of the money made by baseball is going to the people who are actually doing the work. And it's not enough. Um, and I would say that that is the argument that needs to be had is how can we be more pro labor and how can we how can we get the sort of business interests, keep them from continuing to exploit players and fans. Frankly, the last thing that I expected to be talking about in 2018 is the Philly fanatic and the flying hot dog debacle and yet (laughs) mid-june my nightmare came to life the philly fanatic attacked flagrantly assaulted a woman in the stands with uh his automatic hot dog gun machine thing and like it gave her this massive black eye uh really frankly bizarre but also philly fanatic what do you expect right like he's kind of scummy let's be real um so he's supposed to represent philly yeah like philly i can say this because i live there it's pretty scummy yeah honestly and frankly philly fanatic shooting a gun that shoots hot dogs and hitting a woman in the face feels pretty representative about America right now. So uh, this is from episode 44, the military hot dog fanatic industrial complex. I hate you and love you for that title. If at any point you hear a loud crash and the recording cuts off, it's because the Philly fanatic burst into my room like the Kool-Aid man and shot me with a hot dog gun in the face. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think he wants us talking about this, frankly. I think he's trying to trying to keep a lockdown on the incident. Um, let me just read you the first paragraph from Deadspin's write-up of a, an article titled The Philly Fanatic Shoots Woman in Face with Hot Dog Gun Sends Her to Hospital. The Philly Fanatic aimed his hot dog gun, pressed a button, and fired into the stands. The duct tape-wrapped hot dog flew through the air and hit Kathy McVeigh in the face. It knocked off her glasses, gave her a black eye, and sent her to the emergency room. She has to ice her face every 20 minutes. <laughs> what? 
I have a small hematoma in my eye, she told 6ABC, and mostly it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to go down the side <laughs> of my face. <laughs> How does this happen? How does this happen? I'm really curious about like, like, oh, I really wish there was video of this because I, know. I, I want to see it happen. But I'm just kind of curious, like, did... Like, usually they shoot that thing up into, like, the second deck or something like that. Or does he just, like, walk up to her, like, point blank, point blank. and just, like, fire it in the face, you know? He turned it sideways for the kill shot. Yeah. As you know, I'm back in Philadelphia. Um, not at the time of recording, actually. We're just in separate parts in New York, being annoying and not meeting up and doing this in person. But <laughs> I was back in Philadelphia when this happened. And so it came on, like, the nighttime news. Like, 6ABC is the, the Philadelphia ABC news channel. And I heard this story like before I had even seen it on Twitter. And it was the first time in a long time that I had seen a story that I didn't already hear about from Twitter. And I like left the nighttime news on to try to watch it. It was a real throwback for me. Watching the news. Well, I was really hoping they were teasing it like there was going to be a video of it. I know. And then they just have the the picture of this poor woman with like a legit black eye. Like it's not like a little scuff or anything like this messed her up, man. Yeah, for real. It truly did. It's like a big, I mean, I guess we'll probably link to it, but it's a, and if you haven't seen, it's like a big legit black eye. Like she got punched and then like the other side of her nose even has like a big mark on it. It's like poor Kathy McVeigh. Yeah. Um, Plymouth meeting Pennsylvania. Like these guns have some uh, velocity behind them, apparently. Yes. I mean, I mean, I I, I get they have to uh, shoot it pretty far, but oh my God. Of course, it was a Philly fanatic too, right? Yeah, seriously. It, it's the only fitting mascot for this to happen with. <laughs> I wonder what the spin rate was on that hot dog launch. Yeah, seriously. I wonder what the exit velo was. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Don't tell Bob Nightingale. Oh, man. Yeah, maybe this is what will make baseball great again. Shooting people in the face with hot dogs? You know, there's more on-field action, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, you got to keep... She was probably just looking down at her phone, man. You know, these people these days, they don't even watch the game. She was just looking down at her phone. God, that's so true. She also says she has no intention of suing the Philly Fanatic, a mascot who was named, quote, the most sued mascot in the majors in a 2002 (laughs) Cardozo Law Review article. (laughs) That's quite the title. Do you think the guy who did this, the guy who was in the costume, got fired? Um, Probably not. It feels like an accident, right? Yeah. Like, do you think... Like, I don't know. I don't have a sense of uh, how much job switching goes on underneath that uh, that costume. Like, how many how many people do you think they rotate through? I don't I don't know. I assume there's probably like a weekend guy and a weekday guy. Um, but also, like, you can't really fire him because his part of his job is shooting projectiles into a crowd. You can't be mad at him when it hits someone. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> So I don't I don't think he should get fired unless he did the kill shot thing like you said at the beginning just point blank just rector. I kind of hope he did, man. <laughs> like just be just be shameless about it at that point. Okay, it's don't you think it's weird that there's no video of this? Let's start an internet conspiracy theory. Yeah, it was wiped. I'm telling you, the Philly fanatic doesn't want you to see this. Yeah, your tweet was funny. We must find the one they call the Philly fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know his scourge. Is uh is only going to continue until someone puts a stop to this. It says the Phillies may not have to answer for the Fanatics hot dog shooting, but they've offered McVeigh free tickets to an upcoming game. The Fanatic ought to have a bunch of hot dogs for her and just hand them to her this time. 
Really, all they offered her was free tickets to another game. I guess what else can you offer as like a, a baseball team? They should have given her like a hat or something. I guess I didn't realize that their hot dog gun isn't even one of these like um, isn't one of those like small handheld ones that they use to like shoot up t-shirts or whatever. It's like no, it's like that's mounted it's like to the mounted, back of a truck. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> this is like this is like an assault weapon. Seriously, it's like military grade. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> this is the thing that truck. Oh, no, maybe not, no. Remember when Noah Syndergaard stole the Philly Fanatic's ATV? <laughs> yeah. Why is the Philly Fanatic just, like, strapped up, man? Why does he have, like, an ATV, a truck that launches hot dogs? Like, who is giving him all of this paraphernalia? He yeah. needs to stop the the uh, military fanatic complex. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to put an end to this. <laughs> okay, I, the last question that I have about this is, why are the hot dogs wrapped in duct tape uh yeah that feels like a recipe for disaster doesn't that make it like a harder projectile why not just like shoot it in its foil yeah right like i think it's probably just because so it doesn't fly open i mean clearly there's some velocity uh behind these hot dogs but like why not just use a little piece of tape to like tape a chut or like, wait here's another idea maybe just don't fire hot dogs at people in the stands just walk well, around and pass them around or just throw them you know <laughs> We don't need to shoot everything out of a gun. Why can't we just throw it? Is this not like the perfect embodiment of like America in 2018 is that we love to get hot dogs shot out of guns at us? <laughs> like, like this is a genuine form of enjoyment and everyone goes crazy for it at ballparks. The only thing that would make this more America in 2018 is the, if the Philly Fanatic put on like a, um, a camouflage military jacket before he got onto the truck and started shooting then. Yeah. Or like he did this during the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if they weren't wrapped in duct tape or whatever and they were just in like paper and all of a sudden the hot dogs just started like falling out of the <laughs> just just, like, like, raining from the sky <laughs> uh i'm telling you it's a it's a genuine form of entertainment whether we like it or not i'm just it's, cle- it's clearly it's clear to make up for the fact that baseball itself is just boring these days i don't know man duct tape is pretty expensive how much duct tape are they using to wrap this shit up <laughs> definitely more expensive <laughs> we- than the hot dog we really have to do a full-on investigation. Talk about um, uh, inches of duct tape per hot dog. I mean, also, once you get a hot dog that's wrapped in duct tape, how do you get the duct tape off? Isn't the glue <laughs> from the back of the tape stuck to the bun? I have so Jeez. many questions. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it's wrapped in like foil and then covered in duct tape. But at that point, it's like, oh, sorry, I had to go through the Odyssey to get this one free hot dog that was fired at me at 200 miles an hour. Yeah, what... Uh- I, I guess I don't get the, like, it's much easier to just, like, I'll fork over 10 bucks for a hot dog that I don't have to unwrap. Seriously, I don't have to go through freaking boot camp to get. <laughs> oh, God. You just, you just said the combination of words, the military hot dog fanatic industrial complex, and somehow the segment that I'm about to play right after this is even more ridiculous than that (laughs) this is one of my personal favorites that we chose as a highlight because there couldn't be anything more brand and more stupid than the time that we realized live on air that we had been pronouncing j-hap's name wrong and then we like reneged on it and thought we were pronouncing it right and then like i read his entire wikipedia page and realized that it was pronounced j so I'm not going to like explain the whole thing ahead of time. I'm just going to put that that beautiful moment right here in your ears.
Anyway, other takeaways from the trade deadline? Any? Well, the Yankees went out and got starting pitcher J.A. Happ from the Toronto Blue Jays. Can I just and... wait? Can I, can I interrupt for a sec? Yes. When you say, I know how you write his name. It's J.A.Hap. Yeah. Like U.S. When you write the United States. That's, that's for all my AP style nerds out there. I feel like a lot of people just say his name as J-Hap. They just leave uh, yeah. the second A out. Is that, yeah. is that wrong? J-Hap. J. This is what people want to hear. Our, our vocal <laughs> exercises for saying J-Hap's name. But is it, do, do people call him J-Hap as if his name is J-A-Y? This has always been a question I've had, and this is the only outlet that I can exercise it. Is this really? This is something that like keeps you up at night? You're like, how do people say J.A. Hap's name to his face? <laughs> yes. In the middle of the night, yes, this is what I lose sleep over. But this and Pro Tools crashing, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> These are the things that I lose sleep over. <laughs> anyway, you were saying the Yankees traded for him. Yeah, from the from the Blue Jays or the Blue J.A.'s, depending on how you want to you know, <laughs> phrase it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, but maybe the, the even more surprising trade, uh, between the Yankees and the Blue Jays was actually between the, the Mets and the Yankees, because apparently there's a hand, foot and mouth disease is going around the New York clubhouses or something like that. We talked about Noah Syndergaard contracting it just a couple weeks ago, or maybe even last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then news comes out that, J A Hap is going to miss so uh, you know a few days because he can, has contracted the de- disease as well. What the hell is going on, man? I've never <laughs> I hadn't even heard about this until to, uh, about this disease until two weeks ago, and now like should should I be afraid of it? Yeah, I mean apparently this is like a, a thing. Like apparently parents know about this because kid like kids get it a lot. But I was a kid once, not that long ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, never well, heard of this I, I just I just googled hand, foot, and mouth disease, and I'm seeing articles about like, states seeing uptick in hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh, doctor says it's no, for no epidemic of of hand, foot, and mouth disease in Rhode Island. It really is, man. Can you imagine if like a nationwide epidemic started with Noah Syndergaard contracting it, and the Mets not knowing how to handle it PR wise? <laughs> my God, I know. I have more important things to talk about than hand, foot, and mouth disease. I know I told you I would have a rant queued up for you about this whole Yankees-Mets trading hand, foot, and mouth disease situation, but a quick Wikipedia search has confirmed, indeed, that though his name is James Anthony and his initials are J.A. He pronounces his name as J-A-Y. So, J. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it is J-Hap. Yeah, it's J-Hap. Are you, wait, are you serious right now? <laughs> I swear to God. It's J-Hap. Why? I... This actually has raised more questions than answers for me. <laughs> How so? I, that's just strange. I I guess he got he got sick of people having to say the second syllable. That, it's all about expedition, man. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I just never realized this. I've gone about my life calling him J-A-Hap. Yeah, me too. Now I feel like a fucking dickhead. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Oh, you host a baseball podcast? You don't even know how to say J-Hab's name. <laughs> In other news, J-Hab kind of had a good career. Uh, yeah, he's he hasn't been bad. He has a son named JJ. Do you think, Do you think he just goes by by J? JJ. 
So that one came from episode 48, a very happy birthday, not actually referring to my birthday, but referring to the Tipping Pitches birthday, which we discovered live on that podcast, I believe, that we had missed. We were like, like at the end of that episode, we were like, hey, uh, we've been doing this for a year as of like last week. So late to the party, as always, Tipping Pitches. Like this very episode right now that you're listening to, which is late to the party. Yeah, pretty much. And last but not least, a segment inspired by the glorious Prince Fielder and his decision to have an Amazon show where he just like eats food with his famous friends. Frankly, if I'm Prince Fielder and I had to retire from baseball, that's probably what I would do too. But uh, we took inspiration from that and came up with the reality shows that we would like to see come out of baseball, whether that's Bryce Harper or Mike Trout or uh, Big Poppy, um, who or David Wright or David Wright, any all of the above. Uh, we came up with the best ideas and threw them out uh, on episode 27, keeping up with the Dinger Smashians, which you refused to say live on air and, <laughs> and required me to say. So, <laughs> Hey, man, it's your mistake. You got to own it. This is your earned run. I'm just coming in and release. That's fair. All right. Enjoy this last one. All right, yeah, let's let's come up with some some reality TV shows right now <laughs> for uh, for baseball players. Specific to the hated fan base thing or just like in general? Uh, I don't know both. Do you have other uh hated fan base ones? Uh Chase Utley as a cab driver? Yeah. Barry Bonds existing anywhere else besides San Francisco? Yeah, fair. What could Pedro do in New York City? Marriage counseling. Pedro doing marriage counseling in New York City. Yeah. I feel like everyone has t- sort of flipped on hating Pedro though. Yeah, although you could probably take him to an old folks home and people would rip on him for like throwing Don Zimmer to the ground. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. What about, you could put A-Rod almost anywhere. I guess he's had this rehab tour. But yeah, I feel like people the, would still hate him if they met him in person. Maybe. But- A-Rod teaching business class in like Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I would take that class and, and, or, watch, and that watch that show <laughs> or do whatever. <laughs> Can you imagine the wait list for that class would be like 100 people long? Oh, oh, 100? I was going to go like 100,000. <laughs> <laughs> I think people would flock from across the country. That's fair. Yeah. Um, okay, so not hated baseball player related. Do you have anything else on the top of your head? Off the top, okay, so off the top of my head, the very first thing that I thought of was like motocross with Mad Bum. We <laughs> <laughs> just have a show where like he's riding a dirt, dirt bike around his backyard. And it's like very funny because everyone hates him. And... uh I suppose you could do it like in any other city because no cities like him except San Francisco. Mo- motocross with Mad Bum in like St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. And yeah, F him. He broke his ribs. Yeah, it was just dumb. Yeah, dumb. Just go just go make a career out of it, bro. If yeah. you really want to do it, yeah. like, give up the baseball thing. You're not <laughs> even that good. <laughs> All right, what's yours? Um, I think Daniel Murphy's got himself like an oh even... God, I was going <laughs> to... I was gonna say this, yeah. Like an evangelical like TV thing where he's just like a TV pastor who talks to you about how to find the light, and it's like a half hour, like no commercial breaks whatsoever. Or he's just like an infomercial pastor, yeah. You know, yeah. Like he doesn't actually have his own show. The thing about Daniel Murphy though is that like he's super zealous, like religiously, but he's also like not. He's like not a 
pleasant guy, really. Like he curses, like he yells at umpires, like he gets mad at himself. Like I'm, I'm sure he's like a fine guy. Like if you met him, I'm sure he would be very, very nice. But like, unless you were gay, in which case, yes. But like he doesn't like refuse to like curse or anything like that. Yeah. So the evangelical TV show would be very like. <laughs> aggressive and like down to earth like very like like fuck this fuck that (laughs) but honestly i feel like that's probably true about most of those guys you see on tv like there is no way they're living like a chaste like very religious lifestyle like you get off screen and i don't even want to exist in that home with them i think it'd be fascinating daniel murphy should have a podcast yeah i would listen to that i would listen to an episode like i disagree with basically everything that he says (laughs) and like it hurts me every time I see him yeah. swing a bat. But, like, I think I would still listen to it just based off pure curiosity. Like, what is Daniel Murphy? What makes Daniel Murphy tick besides God? I don't know. What makes any of these guys tick besides God? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, such an overrepresentation of really zealous religious people in sports. Is that just, like, because, is that, like, a public, like, outlook thing? Like, are people, are guys just, like, I love God because I think that will like pull well with baseball fans. No, I don't know. Like, most I mean, of these guys are from like the Bible Belt and like are like Brandon Nimmo, who is not from the Bible Belt, but like he tweets <laughs> like a quote from the Bible every day. Yeah, he's super religious. I don't know. I think that's like you don't I th- see that in basketball. You see people like in interviews be like glory to God, but like they're not like tweeting Bible quotes every day. I think it is a a, a large part of it is like where these guys come from is like these small town like mostly white christian communities where like these people all went to church with each other on sunday you know like the local ball player really made it yeah exactly praise be (laughs) (laughs) um okay my my next one speaking of white christian towns i just think david wright should have a show about lawn care i don't know why (laughs) i feel like david wright cares a lot about his lawn and i love david wright he's like my favorite man but i just feel like He's from Norfolk, Virginia. I feel like down like in Virginia, they they care very much about like their estate and like the and like the appearance of outwardly projecting to the world. And I just think David Wright definitely like as a young boy was like trimming the shrubs and like edging the lawn and like doing a great job mowing it. So I feel like <laughs> this is based on absolutely nothing. <laughs> but lawn care with David Wright, I would watch that. Yeah. It could be like um like House Hunters, but like he could be the guy that comes in and like cleans up the the yard yeah yeah like or like um and then once he's cleaned up the yard he can like play baseball with his kids on it it's like i, I see it in my head guys yeah it's like a it's like that show extreme home makeover with like ty pennington yo that was like a big thing huge like suburban america lost their shit for like a decade yeah. for that and i remember there was one like a couple like neighborhoods away from me like growing up and it was like are we gonna see ty pennington like walking around like is everyone okay is everyone okay are we all okay ty pennington is in our zip code (laughs) are we okay i'm just checking is everyone good (laughs) yes but it could be like that with david wright i feel like yeah why don't it doesn't even have to be lawn care let's just extend it to houses like i feel like david wright has good taste david wright had this like private jet called the Wright flight and you could like pay to take it It it's basically just like a jet I think, like, with him. You just, like, fly, like, from city to city with him. That could be a good reality show. Yeah. Let's just give David Wright a series of reality shows. Netflix got money, That'd man. be fun. Let's pitch it to him. Be like, dude, you're not doing anything else right oh, now. Oh, man. <laughs> um, All right, you, I, have, you have any others? I think, I mean, I have a couple guys. Tim Lincecum or Matt Harvey could have, like, their own Viceland show, you yeah, know? 
Yeah. Um, Tim and Tim, Tim could just do that. Uh, that what is the Viceland show about weed called? Uh, Bong Appetit, where they just yeah. get really high before it and then they go eat food. Yeah. Tim Linscombe could just host that show. That's true. Or Matt Harvey's is just about like partying all the time and like going to clubs Jersey and like Shore checking with Matt out Harvey. all this. <laughs> yeah. Midtown Manhattan with Matt Harvey. Yeah. I, I would watch the hell I would, out of I that. would so watch that. Oh my God. <laughs> I would try and I would try and like figure out where they're going and like try and get in the shot, party with him. Do you think you can make a reality show with the three A's aces from the 2000s? Like what? What do you think would make a good reality show for those, like, uh, like Hudson, Zito, and and Mulder? Yeah, um, I don't know why I blanked on his name, but yeah. I mean, uh, that's kind of a tough one. Uh, like Zito's the I think the most interesting guy out of the out of the bunch because like he's super musically inclined. You know, like he's just yeah. a musician now and released an album recently. Uh, you could do something like jamming with them. Yeah, like j- <laughs> <laughs> like they're just like on tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> Zito's like doing it all and like Mulder's just in the back like hitting the drum yo that'd be that'd be kind of fun if you got together like a band of baseball players that'd be really fun you got Barry Zito get like Bernie Williams in there Bronson Arroyo they have shows like that on like I don't know on like the Boonies channels you know like the ones that you like never get to like the 700s and stuff they have shows like that with like actual musicians like i remember like scrolling through and like jimmy Iveen was like in there with like five different like real musicians like let's jam and yeah. i'm like why isn't this on like a more prominent channel and also like why can't we get weirder people in this like why can't we like snoop <laughs> like let's get like snoop like a nelson cruz <laughs> barry zito and tim lincecum all in a room and we just put like an as many instruments as you can think of and whatever they pick up just happens i would watch that i would watch that so hard <laughs> You know what I think a fun one to watch would be? What? You get Marlins ownership, the three outfielders they just traded, and like a handful of fans. And it's just like a, like a real housewives type thing where they just just put them in a house and just watch them. <laughs> <laughs> just watch the whole like thing Big implode. They <laughs> <laughs> would be at their throats every second. Wow, we didn't even think of like psycho thriller reality show style, yeah. like Big Brother or like MTV's like The Challenge. Yeah. You know? Wow, that could be a whole different genre. There's a, there's a rabbit. We, there's a whole episode. We can in make this, a whole honestly. podcast about this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we should like we should like write some of these down. Yeah, that, we, should, we should make a blog post. I mean, about we this. don't need to write them down. We're recording this. <laughs> I know. We should just make a post. Just do like 10, 10 reality show ideas. All right. Yeah, you heard it here live first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we this will be a blog post. We will link to it in the description. Um, yeah, that's kind of fun. I like that. That. Just stick him in a house and see what happens. Yeah. It'd be like Jeffrey Loria is like, we don't need more soap. And the people are like, we're he's smell- not even, He's not even the Marlins owner anymore, but know, yes, the former Marlins all right, owner. All right. Or, or, uh, or Derek, Jeter. Derek Jeter, you get in there. They're like, you guys, we're smelly. We need shampoo. And Jeter's like, no, I need this money. Uh, what would Jeter's confessional look like? Like, you know how they always, like, cut away to, like, a yeah. creepy-ass room? It's, like, kind of dark in the background, and then it's just, like, rule of thirds. Like, the guy's just, yeah. like, off to the side <laughs> with, like, his description underneath. <laughs> and it's, like, he would be so vanilla. He'd be, like, I'm just in here to have a good time. He would be, like, super oblivious and be, like, no, I think we all get along really well. And yeah. you cut away to, like, a Marlins fan, and it's, like, this is a freaking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> this is a eh, nightmare. <laughs> That is it. That is Tipping Pitches 2018. Alex, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for a fun year. 
uh, and being a great co-host and always coming with ideas on Saturday morning when I ask you and also just the perseverance of keeping this podcast up with me being out here in LA and you being out in New York. I'm honestly, I know we said this a ton at the beginning when we started doing this podcast, but I honestly, it doesn't really feel like us to really follow through on things like this, but we've kept it up mostly at the pressure of your mom. So shout out to her shadow producer, Alex's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Always pressing us on when the show is going to be. Yeah. uh, The, the true goat. Uh, <laughs> Bobby, thank you. This is a, it's a joy to do with you on a semi-regular basis, near weekly basis. <laughs> and also we don't, I don't think we ever say this on the podcast really, but you produce this wonderful show and make us sound all nice and pretty and put music in between all our dumb words and make it sound <laughs> a little better than it actually is live and cut out all the stupid jokes that we made, the the stupider jokes that we make. So <laughs> good, good gradation. Right <laughs> so major hats off to you for that. And, uh, and real quick, we would like to thank everyone who has appeared on this show this year, helped out in any way. Um, yeah, before we that, get out of here, roll, roll those credits, my guy. Yeah, let's do it real quick. Just in chronological order, uh, Aaron Dolan, Mina Kimes, Nick Mirkovich, Austin Zimmerman, Sungmin Kim, Kelly Wallace, Cheryl Ring, uh, shout out to Blind Barber, the the <laughs> one and only king of New York hair. And shout out to Tim Tebow, the patron saint, the, the reason we keep coming back to it all. Our anchor. Yeah. And, <laughs> and thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in if you're even listening this late in the episode uh we really appreciate your loyal listenership and you know if we had like four fewer listeners we probably wouldn't be doing this so thank you for your support for thinking what we do is worthwhile and we i think i speak for both of us when i say that we'd love to hear from you all more in the coming year send us your listener questions send us your ideas for the podcast anything you have we're open to everything and also an pretty, itunes review yes give, give us, us an itunes review yeah listen to us on radio public if you don't already that 2018 was the year of radio public and we're we're keeping it going strong in 2019 all right i think that's all that we have time for and more so if you listen to all of these episodes or any of these episodes or even if you just came on for this one thank you so much we're gonna try to get even better in 2019 that's all i got man yeah thanks a lot everyone we will see you next time